there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The work says that to be awake is to have no false personality. Well, this can lead people to believe that being awake is a destination. It's something you get to when you're awake, you have no false personality. But it's not that way. In fact, I get a lot of questions from people about this awakening thing. Yesterday I was talking to a gentleman in Great Britain and he said, well, you're awake. And I said, so are you. He said, no, I'm not, but I was. And I said, well, you will be again. And he said, well, I don't think so. I hope so. And I said, well, you will be. If you were awake once, you will, you will awaken again. The idea that people get from this is that it's a destination. It's like something that like, like it's not like a light switch, you know, that you turn off and on. You're awake, you're asleep, you're awake, you're asleep. It's not like that at all. This whole idea of graduated awakening is something that we need to be more cognizant of. I, I notice sometimes we can get a lot of attention on the form and that hinders the flow, the expression. And I don't think that's always a good idea. Sometimes I think it is a good idea. Sometimes I think if we hinder our own expression, it may not be a bad idea. Sometimes you want to tell somebody something negative, and if you cannot do it, and not do it from the right place inside of yourself, I think that that's a benefit. I think if you don't do it from the wrong place inside of yourself, then it's not a benefit. So it's not what you do, it's how you do it. The same thing applies with this awakening business. You can be more or less awake. It's not a matter of turning the light on, you're awake. Turn the light off, you're asleep. It's a matter of you can be more or less awake. For example, when you're asleep on your bed, you are out like a light. You're not awake. Yet, you can be dreaming. So there is something that is conscious. There is some level of awakeness somewhere. It's just that you are not aware of it. If you are aware of it, it's just a very dim awareness, a very dim light. And so in a sense, I guess it's like the rheostat, where a light, the incandescent light bulb can slowly rise and stop at any point. You can stop it at any point. Awakening is more like a rheostat instead of a light switch, so that the light can dawn, and the light can dim, and the light can get brighter and dimmer. And that's the way it really is for us. So I think that to, when the work says that to be awake is to have no false personality, it leaves nothing in between being asleep and being awake. And I think we really need to understand that being awake is a process, that it's something that can always get brighter. You can always be more awake. You can always get more awake for us. Now, people may argue the point that, well, perhaps Gautama Buddha became as awake as, a, as anyone can be. Well, perhaps he did. But that's not something that we have within easy reach right now. And so it's better for us to deal with what we have. It's wonderful to be able to talk about, oh, yes, well, you know, I could become a, a jet pilot and, and a jet fighter pilot and blah, 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 and blah. But yes, you probably could. But it may not be within reach right now. You may want to talk about, you know, first of all, getting your driver's license, you know, so that you can get to the place where you can get lessons to fly or, or whatever. So there's a long way between the idea and the realization of the idea. And I think that we need to understand that in order to do this work properly. And when I say do this work properly, I mean to do it properly means to do it and keep on doing it. 
no matter how many times you fail. Because one of the things that we're going to deal with more often than anything else is failure. We are not going to realize the things that other people talk about realizing and the, the direction that these ideas point us. We're not going to realize them all at once. We're only going to realize them a little bit at a time. I don't want to rule out that some people have, bam, realizations, but then they still have to grow into it. Having the realization isn't enough. You must be able to, you have to become comfortable with it. So, so somebody parks an F-22 out in, your, out in your yard and they say, well, there you go, there's your plane. Well, that's great. You may be able to figure out how to get into it, but without a lot of understanding, you're not going to be able to figure out how to turn it on. And you're certainly not going to be figure, figure out how to fly it just like that. So in other words, with the appearance of it in your driveway, you don't have the full knowledge of how to be a jet fighter pilot. That's my point. So we need to be aware of this. The less that one meets life through false personality, the more awake that person is. As we are, we meet most of life through our false personality. This is not even saying being awake or being asleep. This is just how we meet life. Somebody calls us on the phone, how do we answer? We answer the same way almost every time. There are some people who have a phone voice. In fact, everybody has a phone voice. They answer the phone in their phone voice. This is meeting life through your false personality. There's another way to meet life. Somebody calls on the phone and you pick up the phone and you listen, you feel, and then you say, oh, hello, so-and-so. That's the other way. Now, if you've ever done that, you know that it can be done. You know that you can feel, you can know who is on the other end of the phone, if you will be there. Maybe it's somebody you don't know. So you say, well, mask who's calling, please? <laughs> Whatever. But if you've had that experience of knowing who's on the phone, I, I know who's on the phone when the phone rings. And people will be sitting in my office, I'll say, well, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. It's happened with both Lori and Jess. And, and sure enough, it was who I, who I said it was. And I just knew. That is releasing false personality. Because to just know, you have to get into something that's more you and less not you. And more you is more your essential self, your innate intelligence, your beingness. And your being can touch other beings. And other beings can touch your being when the walls begin to come down, when the walls of false personality begin to come down. And they do begin to come down as you start to observe what false personality is. They can't come down if we don't know what it is. If you don't know what it is, you're not going to see it. If you can't see it, you can't avoid it. You can't walk around it. You'll trip over it every time. The idea of being more aware is the idea of being more aware of, first, false personality. Be aware what you're not. That's how we start this off. We don't become aware of who we are, and then false personality drops away. As a rule, sometimes it happens that way, but mostly how it happens for us is we become aware of what we're not, and through that we begin to understand what we are. It's a slow process, but it's a, it's a good process. It's a faithful process. It has worked for thousands of people for a long, long time. There are signposts along the way to awakening. Signs that you are more awake or less awake in your own life. Being able to know these signs and see these signs is a valuable tool. If you'd like to move closer to the light, then it's a valuable tool to know when you're moving closer to the light, when you're moving away from it. The more we awaken, these are some of the signposts that I've listed here and I'd like to share with you. The more we awaken, the less we judge others. It's one of the first things that you notice. It's like, well, what? I'm not judging people anymore. I'm not judging people anywhere near as often as I used to do. Then you suddenly begin to see, oh, well, 
that's, that's nice. I'm not as disturbed as I used to be with people. And you have more peace. You have more compassion. You have more understanding. So these are signposts of awakening. This is what happens to people as they awaken. One of the other things is the more we include others, you find yourself being more inclusive and less exclusive. In other words, you don't have enemies. They're not a bunch of people that you don't like. There's not even, there may be one or two people that you don't like, and that just gets to be your signpost of your sound asleep in that area. But you begin to release all of the requirements you have on people. You just begin to let go of them so that you don't have those requirements. You start to let go of the past. You start to let go of your judgments about people. When you do that, you don't have a problem with people like you used to have a problem with people. So that's one of the things. We judge others less. We include others more. We consider others more. And another thing, finally, is we understand others more. Now you notice I make this all about others because these are signposts that point us to where we are in ourselves. How we relate to others and how we relate to life points us to how in the light or in the dark we are about ourselves. Far too often, the second line of work turns into the killing fields where we murder one another. We take this work and we don't apply it to ourselves. We apply it to others. So, oh yeah, well that's like so-and-so. Oh yeah, well they really need to hear this one. Boy, how, how come they're not here today? They're the ones that really need to hear this. Have you ever caught yourself having those thoughts? Of course you have. And that's when the second line of work is the killing fields. Because then we're murdering them. We're assassinating them. We're assassinating their character. We're maligning them. We're thinking ill of them. When the truth is we don't know. This is the truth. We don't know. But we are far from knowing that we don't know. Because in our dream, we think we know everything. We think that if we have a thought, that that thought is real. That that's the way it actually is. I know it's absurd when we say it out loud, but if you look at how we live our lives, that's how we live our lives. False personality is composed of imagination. Imagination simply means that we have false ideas about ourselves, that the things about ourselves that we believe that are not true. Now these things can be great things or they can be terrible things. One of the big mistakes that we all fall into the trap of is learning one song and thinking that we know false personality because we learned the song. That's like learning that Petula Clark sang downtown and thinking that you know everything that Petula Clark ever sang. I know that was a bizarre example, wasn't it? Petula Clark and downtown. But okay, I can, I, I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth most of the time. Sometimes I am, but most of the time I'm not, because, especially in this, in this environment, because I'm trying to let this come from something else. And so my personality would say, that's not a good example. Petula Clark would censor that. Petula Clark, haven't you got something a bit more hip slick and cool, make your personality look better, look more up to date and hip and cool? Well, yeah, I guess I, I guess I could if I really wanted to work on it, but do I really want to build up my false personality any more than it already is? The answer to that is no. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. That's not where I really want to put my attention, my efforts, my energy. I would prefer to allow it to die a quiet death or just pass into passivity without much attention or without buying any flags for it. So we think that because we, we learn one of the songs that we know false personality's full repertoire. Wearing one mask, it sings, and this is false personality, we wear one mask and it sings, I'm wonderful, marvelous, oh splendid. And then it'll also put on another mask where it sings, poor, poor, pitiful me. It has this vast range. 
to think that it's one or the other is a huge mistake. We may notice in ourselves that our false personality is a poor, poor, pitiful me. Anytime we hear anybody sing poor, poor, pitiful me, we're right there on top of them. Man, well, that's their false personality. We're judging them. And then maybe we've got a thing for people who go around saying, oh, I'm just so hot. God, I'm so wonderful. I am so, yes, I am so, wow, I am so right on. And man, that really plugs some people in. You know, other people just smile and laugh and it doesn't bother them at all. But some people get so plugged in, they can't stand it. They've got to say something. Yeah, well, you're not so hot. Blah, 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 blah. They think that they know false personality song. They think that that's the ego. Okay, that's the ego. It's, it's always going around boasting and saying how wonderful it is. But they don't see the ego in the poor, poor, pitiful me. Or the poor, poor, pitiful me people don't see the ego in the boasting. Whereas the ego can be in any of those things or none of those things. Poor, poor, pitiful me, okay. That'd be pretty tough for the ego not to be in that. But it is possible for someone to tell the truth about themselves and not boast. That's one of the ones that stumbles people more than anything else. We love to judge. In either case, it produces discord in being, making it difficult to face oneself either way. Discord in being. What is discord in being? Discord in being is when you're not at peace with yourself. You're not in harmony with yourself. You're not in harmony with your life. There are things that are irking you, irritating you, rubbing you the wrong way. There are things that are bothering you, needling you, worrying you, stressing you, pulling you down. That's discord in being. You're not being in your life. You're wanting something in your life to be different. You're not accepting, you're not being in your life. You're trying to make something different than the way it is. This is called discord in being. False personality creates discord in being. <laughs> That's what it creates. It is a discord in being machine. It is a pain machine. It creates stress, it creates pain, it creates upset, it creates drama, it creates all of these problems because all of these problems verify and affirm its existence, strengthen its existence. All of these things feed it. So this is what it's constantly trying to create discord in being. When we are experiencing discord in being, it's difficult for us to face ourselves, whether we're singing poor, poor, pitiful me, or I'm wonderful, marvelous, splendid, most excellent. I'm most excellent. How are you? I'm most excellent. Some people, that irritates some people. Somebody would say to me, how are you? I'm most excellent. They would be irritated by that. And then some people would go, oh, that's great. I'm happy to hear it. And some people would be, he thinks he's most excellent. He's not most excellent. He's kind of mediocre. Because we're in competition with one another so often. You know, so often we think that if someone else is most excellent, then there's no excellent left for us. Well, how come he feels most excellent? I don't feel most excellent. That's not fair. I want to be most excellent. I, can I have his most excellent and he can have my not so excellent? That whole thing. Oh, it's all false personality. The object of uncritical self-observation is it's a fact-collecting mission. Uncritical self-observation is really a call to collect facts about yourself. But instead, we go on a fact-collecting mission about something else. We get some of these tools for the work, and we go fact-collecting about our spouse, fact-collecting about our parents, fact-collecting about our children, fact-collecting about people at work, fact-collecting about this person or that person. Somebody was talking to me the other day about, I don't know why this bothers me so much. This really bothers me that people do this, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, have you taken a look at how you do that? Because if it really bothers you, it's usually because it's something you do that you don't know that you do. Those are the things that bother me the most. Things that bother me the most are the things that I do that I don't know that I do, that I'm absolutely certain I don't do, so that I can judge with impunity the other person when they do it. And man, boy, I do, too. But when I judge, I judge with impunity. I'm always the righteous judge. I'm never not fair. I'm always fair and just when I judge. Because I don't have any idea what I'm doing. 
the more ignorant you are, the more right you are. And that's what being right is about. Being right is about being ignorant. Because people who are ignorant, they know stuff. They, they think they know things. They, they, they don't know that they're ignorant. But people who begin to wake up, ooh, they start to realize how little they know. And they start to walk with a limp. And they start to walk with a pebble in each shoe so that they don't go far and they feel it every time they take a step. So they're very aware of where they're walking, what they're saying, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're doing, how they're responding to other people. They're very cognizant of their being and the discord in their being, the disharmony in their being. And so they go slowly. Self-observation has more or less power depending on where observing eye is positioned. Now, observing eye, you know, I guess we could talk a lot about observing eye, what it is and, and all that stuff, but I don't want to do that. I would rather you just develop your own observing eye and then let it observe. And don't worry so much about what it is and where it is. I can tell you this, though. Observing eye has more or less to pa power depending on where it's positioned. If observing eye is more internal, if observing eye is, is observing inside of you, it has more power. If it's observing outside of you, more external, it has less power because it's observing other people. And so what, is, what good is that to you? It's powerless out there observing other people. But the closer it moves in to you, the more power it, it has. So, obviously, behind false personality is better than out in front of it. If false personality is answering the phone or going to the door and it's behind you, you already did it all and you never knew it. But if you're behind false personality and it goes to the door and it wants to say something or it, answers, it goes to answer the phone and it wants to say something and you're behind it, you can stop it. You can say, no, 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 we don't say that. No, no, we don't do that. But you have to be behind it. You see how, how observing eye has to be behind false personality so that it can begin to see it. Because if it's out in front of it, there's no way. That's what I mean by where it's positioned and how much power it has. I like that. I think I explained that well. The deeper the valuation, feeling for the work, the more power to observing eye. If observing eye has valued the work as a tool to find out what's wrong with other people, it can do that. It can find out what's wrong with other people. It can be very accurate can be very good at it. It can be very... Psychiatrists and psychologists can do this very well. They can be very accurate about what's wrong with other people and still have a very good observing eye. But you see, it's out there. It's about other people. Until they turn it on themselves, they are not going to have the benefit of the growth that they're offering of the other people with the light that comes from observing eye. Begin thinking in a new way and your feelings start connecting up with your thoughts. How this works is you begin to think in a new way by getting some of these ideas, these work ideas inside of you. You begin to think in a new way. You begin to slow down. That's what happens. You begin to slow down. You're not so quick to judge. You're not so quick to speak. You're not so quick to be negative. You're not so quick to be right. You're not so quick to be sure. You're not so quick to argue. So you begin to slow down because the thoughts start to make sense to you and you begin to have some valuation of the ideas. And when you have a valuation of the ideas, you start to feel something for them. You start to feel that this is a good thing, that this is a true thing, that this is a righteous thing. And when that happens, something inside of you begins to grow. Something just begins to grow in the feelings. Later, real conscience begins to awaken in the emotional center. At first, it happens in our thoughts, in our, in our thinking center. We have some emotion about the thoughts, and the, and the thoughts are connected with the emotion, and the emotion is connected with the thoughts. But what happens is that triggers something deeper in us, something much deeper, much more real in us, further away from 
false personality. So it's more internal. And it finds something more internal that it's kind of like it uncaps this well, scratches at the surface, and then this something starts to bubble up inside of us. And that's our connection with real conscience. And that happens through what the work calls the emotional center. Now, is there, is there an intellectual center, an emotional center, an instinctive moving center? No. These are, again, like the lines on uh, a glass measuring cup, a Pyrex measuring cup. They're just lines on the outside of the cup. They, they're just to, sh to let us know how empty or how full the cup is. They give us an idea of where we're going and how much we've got to go yet and what we need to be doing and how we need to be filling this up. It's not a matter of these things are there and you have to find them. Don't bother with that nonsense. I heard people go on and on and on about where is the intellectual center located in the body? Where is And now this can be useful in placing your attention inside your body if you have a tendency to go space out in thoughts and feelings and daydreaming. You know, the best way to get here is to get your attention in your body, is to get in your body. So if the best way for you to get here right now is to get in your body. So physically, consciously, mentally, emotionally, get in your body. Start to become aware of your body. Start to become aware of sensations. Become aware of the tip of your nose if you can. Become aware of your lower lip if you can. Then go to your big toe and your right foot. Become aware of that. I know I've mentioned this before, but it's always good to mention it again because we need to be reminded to get back here, get back here, get back into your body. Come on, I know, I can see you drift off. I can see it in your eyes, you'll drift off. It's like you have to come back. Come back to your body. Come back to your body. Get in your body. You know, if you get in your body, you won't go to sleep. See, Diana's like over there, her eyelids are flying half-mast. She's nodding out. And it's because she's having a difficult time now being in her body because her mind is trying to suck her away and her emotions are trying to suck her way into something else because she's used too much energy already. Okay, too much energy on this. i got to take a nap. But just let it wash over you. You don't have to listen to these words. These words are meaningless. These words are just words. It's just sound vibrations. It's what is behind the words that's important. And that can touch you. And you have to let it touch you. I know, this is kind of mystical and esoteric. But there you are. That's the way it is. That's my experience of it. I'm not going to lie to you about it. That's how it is. These words are not as important as what is behind these words, what is speaking these words. You know? And that's not me. I've already said that. Look, I'm not trying to, I'm not editing. I'm not censoring what's coming out. I'm just letting it come. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. You become aware of the stillness and the, the, in the center of you, the peace in the center of you. You become aware of this valuation that's in the emotional center, this real conscience, what the work calls real conscience, and just let it be. Just let it have its way. Just let it speak. Let it do what it does. Yeah, it takes a little practice, but it can be done. The work talks about magnetic centers, that which brings us to the work ideas. But it's not enough, the, the magnetic center is not enough to hold us in those ideas. It brings us to the ideas, but it's not enough to hold us there. Life will blow us right out of there. The magnetic center is like being able to attract a feather and, and putting it on the ground right here. But it's not enough to hold it there. It can attract a feather, but the wind comes up and it'll blow that feather away. Now the magnetic center maybe can attract another center, but when the wind comes up, it'll blow that center away. We need something more to hold the ideas, to keep them. They won't just stay just because we have magnetic center. Any more than a magnet will just stay on your refrigerator just because you put it there. You know, somebody can come and pick it off any time, close the refrigerator too quickly or brush by it and it can fall off. It's like that. We have to have something 
that will help us to root these ideas more deeply into us. They have to take root in us. Observing eye develops from ideas mingled with feeling for transformation. You start to get a feeling for the possibility of your own transformation. Many of the people who I've met who come in contact with in the fourth way don't have much of a feeling for their own transformation, their own liberation, because they imagine that they are liberated when they accept the ideas. They imagine that they're transformed. But that's just the beginning of the process. That's not transformation. That's just the beginning of the process. That's not being awake. That's just beginning to turn the rheostat up a little bit. It's just coming out of the darkness. And the light in the rheostat can be turned up ever so slightly so that even a little bit of light seems like a lot of light in a very dark room. And until we reach the max, we don't know what that light is capable of. We don't know if it's going to be a, a 20 watt or a 40 watt or a 60 watt or an 80 watt or 100 watt or 120 watt or a 1,000 watt bulb. We don't know by just the lower end of the rheostat. And where we live, people, is in the lower end of the rheostat when it comes to awakening and awareness. It's just We're just not very awake. I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell people that. Because, and a lot of people, and this is what I mean, a lot of people will say, well, I'm, I'm more awake than that. No, you're really not. And it's better to err on the side of not being so awake than it is to imagine that you're more awake than you actually are. Because if you think, well, gee, I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm that awake. I don't think I have that much light. You're not imagining that you have something that you don't have. You're imagining that there's more. And that's always better. Always, it's always better to be in the position of imagining there's more for me. There's more for me because it tends to stay out of false personality. It tends to stay out of ego. It tends to stay out of pride and vanity, which get hold of things and they, they're terrible. Pride and vanity, are they really are monsters and they really do blind us and they really do go before us and arrange everything so that when we get there, everything is already arranged so that we can't wake up. Everything's already arranged so that we're already transformed and awake. And we're not, but it's just pride and vanity has made it look that way because we can't see for ourselves because we have trusted them. And that's not a good idea. Moving along here, um, I don't want to malign pride and vanity, especially because there's nothing wrong with them. It, it, people need that in life. People need pride and vanity in life if they're not going to work for transformation. You've got to survive that life out there. If you're going to be that, then the life has given you those things for a reason. Killer instinct, life gives people that for a reason. If you're a predator, you're a predator for a reason. If you pray, you pray for a reason. You have the instincts that life gives you for a reason. If you're going to develop along another line, then those things, you can let go of those things. But if you're not going to develop along another line, if you're just going to serve life's purposes, use all the tools that life gives you. Well, I'm not talking to those people. This work is not for people who want to be in life. This is for people who want to be in life but not of life. This is for people who don't believe in life, who think that there is another path a broader path, a broader path in the sense of more light, but a narrower path in the sense of what you can do in life. It's a two-edged sword, and you have to know about what you're talking before you can really judge it. I think I left off with observing eye develops from ideas mingled with feelings for transformation, liberation for oneself rather than others. This is a main crossroads, I think, in the work, is we start off with, we want liberation for ourselves, and then we start to apply the work to other people, and then we want liberation for them. But then we realize that we come to a place, we have to come to a place where we realize that we must be liberated, that it must be liberation for me. And if you get liberated, lucky you, and if you don't, that's your business. Where does a bodhisattva come in? You know, somebody who's here to 
help other people with their liberation. Well, where he comes in is he's on the path of liberation himself, and it's just part of his path to help others. And that happens, and that's okay. But it can only happen at a certain point in his own liberation, where he has crystallized his own liberation to a point where he can afford to help someone else. Many of us are not in that position. Because what will happen is we start helping others, and next thing you know, we're not looking to our own house, we're helping others, and it's all going to our ego, all going to our false personality, all going to our pride and vanity, and we're going backwards as we're, as we're dragging them with us, because they'll end up being just like us, because we teach what we are. At first, as I said, it's all about others. Later, we glimpse our own need. When we glimpse our own need, then a hunger starts, an emotional hunger starts in us where we realize that there's something deeper in us that needs to be fed than what we've been feeding. So that's what I mean by an emotional hunger, by a real emotional hunger. Something deeper in us needs to be fed. There's something in us that needs to grow, and we start to become aware of it. And we become aware of it first as a need, not as the fulfillment of a need, but as a need and the possibility of that fulfillment. The next graduation is observing ourselves in the light of the work, not our past or our social mores. It's okay socially to tell white lies. It's okay socially to fudge on your income tax. Not out and out cheat, but to fudge. It's okay. Even the Internal Revenue Service allows a certain amount of fudging. If you're working on yourself in a deeper way, it's not okay. If you're working on yourself in a deeper way, it doesn't matter what socially is acceptable, that you're allowed to take a stamp, a postage stamp from work, and it's okay. Inside, it's not okay. If something inside of you checks it, says, no, that's not yours, then it's not okay. But socially, your social mores say, well, it's hard. It's just a postage stamp lighten up. I mean, you've worked, you know, you've certainly worked overtime enough to earn that. See, if that rush rationalization justification has to come in, let it go. The next, real conscience begins to appear as steward, an official appointed to supervise arrangements or keep order, manage, care for, look after best interests of. So this is one of the terms that the work uses is steward. Of course, in the fifth way, they say there is no steward. There is no real either. All this stuff is just all this false personality. All this stuff is just made up. They're just the lines on the cup, back to the lines on the cup, so that we can have some idea of what we're doing here. But it's not real. But people, again, they think this is something that's real, but it's not really real. These are just stages that we go through as the rheostat is turned up and we come into more and more light, we just begin to see more. But at any point, when we see what we see, we have to remember that we don't see it all. We're not seeing it all. The light is not fully turned up, so we're not seeing it all. So then don't judge it totally. Just use what you can use now and move forward. Use what you can use now and move into more light whenever you can. None of this can happen as long as false personality is governing. As long as false personality is in charge, as long as first false personality is calling the shots, none of this is going to happen. You're not going to find the rheostat, and you're not going to be able to turn it. You're not going to be able to bring the power up. You're not going to be able to bring the light up. Because false personality won't allow that. Because it cannot exist in the light. Awareness dissolves false personality. As long as it's in charge, you're not going to be anywhere near the rheostat. You're not going to be anywhere near the light switch. False personality is not going to let you anywhere near it. It's going to keep you over in a dark corner where there's no possibility of you accidentally tripping over the light switch. It stands to reason. It's just simple survival. 
We have to think about what false personality is in ourselves rather than assume we know what it is in ourselves. This is another thing that happens so often is people get into this work for a while, they get to observe some things, they think they've observed everything. Just because you've observed some things doesn't mean you have power over them yet or control over them yet, it just means you've observed some things. And it's just the beginning. You're just stumbling around with the light. You've just begun to bring it up a little bit. Don't stop now. Don't make a, a space for yourself now and put your guru robes on and you know, get in the lotus position and expect people to come lay flowers at your feet. That's not how it works. It may be how it works for the false personality, but it's not how it works in the real world. Through its many forms, false personality is false. The most obvious thing about false personality is that it's false. The problem is, is that when we think we're it and we know we're not false, it's difficult to see it. So that's why we have to get behind false personality so that we can see its falseness, so that we can see. At first, we see that it lies. We just begin to see it in little ways, but we can see it. False personality is essentially a lie that we insist on telling ourselves. And we tell ourselves that lie over and over again for many, many years. And so it's difficult to dislodge it once we have embedded it in. It's like driving nails into a board. You pound them in, you pound those nails in, and then it's very difficult to get them out when you want them out. So at first we stop pounding nails in. We just, the work tells us, okay, we'll stop pounding the nails in. Try not to pound the nails in. Okay, you find yourself hammering away, wham, 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 wham. Find yourself hammering away with negative emotions. You can't get that nail out because you've got it in so deeply and then you've even bruised the wood, left indentations in the wood, you pounded the nail in so hard. We begin to realize that it's better not to pound the nails in before we can even begin to take them out. And maybe once in a while we find one that's barely in and we can knock it out. And we say, Yay, we have a success. And then we pound another one in twice as deep as that one was. Oh, darn, we're back there again. <laughs> so I say, we have, we have a lot of failure. But we're not working for results, so who cares? <laughs> as I said, it's a lie that we insist on telling ourselves, leaving us governed by a liar. And when we're governed by a liar, well, we never know where we'll, where we'll, we'll end up. It, it, it gives us directions. We ask for directions, and it gives us directions, and we, we end up in a place we didn't want to go. How many people got married at the behest of their false personality? Yeah. Well, you don't have to raise your hands, guys. <laughs> people got married at the behest of their false personality, and they found themselves where they didn't want to be. They found themselves in a place that false personality said, oh, it was going to be this way, and it wasn't that way at all. False personality told their other, the other false personality that they married how they were, oh, I'm like this, and they aren't like that at all. And then the other false personality finds out that your false personality isn't what it said it was, and you find out, and your false personality finds out that the other person's false personality isn't what it said it was, and what, that's what divorces are made of, you know? That's what wars and battles are made of. That's what discord is made of. False personality creates discord and disharmony in being. Remember I said that? Well, somebody said that anyway. It came out of, I, I recognized the voice, <laughs> I recognized the voice, and I recognized the words, the ideas. The upside comes from false personalities, harsh judgments, and fixed attitudes that it uses to imprison us. False personality has some very harsh judgments about people and fixed attitudes about people. These people are always this way. It's absurd, but it's what it does. And it's very difficult to break out of that when you can't get behind it. You can't get an observing eye behind it. You can't see it for what it is and what it's doing. It, you can't break out of it because you're out in front of it and it's all happening behind you. 
So you don't know that it's happening. Understand? So observing eye's got to be behind false personality, not out in front of it. Is there an observing eye? No. These are words that I'm using because this is what we have to work with. If you catch an observing eye, paint it red so you can always find it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, come on, guys. You know, this is esoteric. This is impossible to talk about. It's impossible to talk about. You've got to get what I'm saying and not pay so much attention to the words. Not that you are. I'm just, I don't know why I went off on that. I'm crazy, I guess. Maybe it's temporary insanity. <laughs> so we hear these ideas and we think, yes, this is true. Come on now, you have to admit there are times when I, I say something, you go, yeah, that's, I knew it, that's right, yes, that's right. Because you wouldn't be back if, you didn't, if that didn't happen. You wouldn't be back here. But we've got to feel the ideas as truth, not just think that they're true. A lot of people, they just think that the ideas are true and they never really feel them in a deeper way, in a more profound way. And we need to get comfortable with these ideas so that we can feel them in a profound, deep way. This brings a force which begins to weaken false personality. And the force is the force of awakening. It's the force of light. It's the force of love. You start to love these ideas. You start to love the idea of transformation. You start to love the idea that people could be some other way, that there is a possibility of people developing along a different line, away from murdering one another, away from destroying one another, away from hating, away from judging, away from separating, away from misunderstanding, away from war, away from stealing, away from all of the things that make this life so cruel and harsh for so many millions of people, that makes this a pain factory for so many millions of people. You start to love the idea of this transformation in yourself first and the possibility for others. And it becomes a genuine feeling, a real emotion because it's part of who you are. At first we hear, man can't do. Man isn't a unity. Man doesn't have any real eye. Man isn't conscious. Man is asleep. When these ideas begin to become deeply felt, false personality can't accept it because they lead to awakening. False personality begins to just dissolve like a shadow in light. It just starts to dissipate when the feeling for these ideas starts to govern us. Real conscience starts to govern us False personality cannot stand against real conscience because real conscience is like the light. And false personality is like the shadow that your imagination cast as you imagined that you stood in the light. And you looked back and you imagined this shadow. And then you believed in this shadow like Peter Pan chasing a shadow. <laughs> and that's what life becomes for us. Peter Pan chasing a shadow. And so we come to be awake is to have no false personality. And that's true. To awaken fully is to have no false personality. To awaken a little bit is to have a little less false personality. To have a little less false personality is to awaken a little more. Proper self-observation must lead us to the realization of our nothingness. False personality can't go there. Surely you can see that false personality cannot go to nothingness. It's just like a cat that you're trying to give a bath. It's all claws and it stretches out like it'll grab hold of anything. No, it's not going to go there. It doesn't want to go there. It knows that that's not a good place for it. It doesn't like that. Like awakening, realizing our nothingness is a graduated way that takes us to deeper and deeper realizations of our nothingness. First, we realize our nothingness. And we go, wow, man, I'm like not who I thought I was. I'm like nothing. And then, after that, we realize our nothingness. We go, oh, well, I'm even less than nothing. <laughs> then we realize our nothingness. And so this process of realizing our nothingness 
has to happen. And the reason it has to happen is because our identity is in our false personality when we start off. And as the false personality begins to dissolve in the light of awareness, we start to realize our nothingness. We start to shift. We realize our nothingness. We have less and less to adhere to as it dissolves. So it's a lot like standing on a, a block of ice in the middle of the ocean with the, the temperature rising and the ice is melting. And you're realizing that what you're standing on is nothingness and, and what was larger is now less. And so you begin to realize your nothingness in stages, bit by bit by bit. It's always a deeper understanding and a deeper realization of our nothingness. This is a good thing. False personality embraces the sentimental idea of our nothingness and it adjusts to it through pretense, but it never realizes it. False personality will embrace, easily embrace, oh yes, I'm nothing. Oh, it's, it's, it easily embraces it's not, our, our nothingness, but it's all pretense. It's all just false personality functioning. It's just manipulating, it's moving with the ideas so that it can use them, so that it can take the work and use it for its own purposes. This is not the same thing that we're talking about. How can nothingness judge anyone? If you're judging someone, you're not realizing your nothingness. If you find yourself judging someone, remind yourself of your nothingness. The work doesn't speak of judging. Work never tells us to judge other people. It tells us what to do with other people. It says understand them. That's what the work talks about. It doesn't talk about judging. It talks about understanding. It talks about externally considering through understanding. If you understand someone, you externally consider them effortlessly, easily. External consideration flows out of understanding the way fragrance flows out of a rose. Just that effortlessly. We can see the marks on the measuring cup if we look, but we must empty ourselves of empty self. Isn't all murdering due to judging as if we were superior? If you begin to awaken, your superiority meter falls to the degree that you have light, to the degree that you can get behind your false personality. To that degree, your superiority is diminished. These are road marks. These are signposts. These are graduations on the cup. I tell you these things so that you can use them as a biofeedback mechanism so that you can move closer to what you want and move away from the things that, even though they may appear to be what you want, are not really what you want because they're not standing the true test of light, awakening, enlightenment, expanding your consciousness, raising your level of being. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.